0: This afternoon, we're gonna talk about how your church can become a dynamic health evangelistic center. It's really in three parts. In the first part, I'm going to present the foundations, the biblical foundations of the Adventist health message. And we're gonna look at that from the perspective of Genesis, from the perspective of Exodus, and on through the New Testament, and uh, look at it through the book of Revelation. Here's my thesis in one sentence that summarizes the first uh, presentation. I am convinced that Seventh-day Adventist churches often do health programming, but they do not have health as part of their DNA. And there's a major difference in that. You can do a scattered health program and have a nutrition class or have a stress management class. but if you really understand the biblical foundation of health and see it as physical, mental, and spiritual wholeness, it influences everything your church does. And so in the first presentation, we're going to look at the biblical foundations of health. And when I use the word health, I'm not simply using it to define physical health, but we're looking at physical health, emotional health. We're looking at spiritual health and mental health. We're looking at health as the holistic philosophy of life and health. And then in the second presentation, my wife is going to take what I've said in this foundation and say, how do you apply that to a local congregation? How can the church become a dynamic outreach center for health and healing? And then in the third presentation, we're going to look at the interrelationship between the physical, mental, and spiritual dimensions. And so. With the first presentation is rather technical, we look at the biblical foundations, the second one we apply them, and the third one is we look at physical, mental, and spiritual linkages. Let's pray as we get started. Father in heaven, we're so thankful today for the great opportunity to explore again the message of health that you have for your people. We're thankful that you're a God that's concerned about every aspect of our life, not simply what we believe, but you're concerned about our entire lifestyle. So bless us as we study that in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Our topic is your church, a health evangelistic center. Have you ever sat in church either on a Sabbath morning or a Wednesday night in church, asking yourself the question, shouldn't church be much more than this? Have you ever sat in church and thought to yourself, why isn't our church making the impact on the community that the New Testament church made? Why does the church seem so anemic, so powerless, to touch people and touch their real lives? If you look at the book of Acts and the New Testament, you see God moving powerfully, and lives are being transformed. But yet, at times, we wonder. Why is it that the church today is not making that kind of an impact? Deep within the fabric of our society, men and women are asking questions, questions like these, who can bear our burdens? Our life seems to be falling apart physically, mentally, spiritually, and and who can bear those burdens? Uh, Who can help me with the mental stress and anxiety that's just racking my brain and mind? Where can I find security and direction for the future? Men and women throughout society are asking these probing questions, uh, like this man that possibly just came back from his physician's office. And the physician said, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've got cancer. And that cancer has metastasized. And my best estimates are that you have about three months, maybe four months to live. The cancer has progressed so rapidly that uh, chemotherapy will not touch it. And so he's perplexed, and he's asking, why me? And why did this happen to me? And what kind of answers can I find in the meaning of life? And then think about the relationship of guilt to disease. Often in your office as a medical practitioner, people come in, and as you begin to talk to them, they begin to share with you the guilt that's eating out their heart and their life. And uh, it's almost as if you are a psychological counselor and you see the relationship of that guilt to their um, coronary heart disease, or the relationship of that guilt to the headaches or to the sleeplessness. And so people are asking questions. Who will bear my burdens? And where can I find security? And who'll handle our guilt? And Like this girl who's raising the question, what's the purpose of the future? You know, why do I live? Uh, What's the meaning of my life? God has given us great health insights in his word, and when we use the word health, we're using physical, mental, spiritual, emotional wholeness people that are looking for answers in their life. But when we use the word health, we're talking about this abundant life that God has designed for every human being, this living life to the fullness and living life to, through all of, its, uh, in all of its meaning and purpose and all of its abundance. And so when God created us, he created us to live. He created us to live life to the abundance, to the fullness, God did not create us originally to be devastated by sickness and disease. That wasn't part of his plan at all. And these principles of health are throughout the Bible. God has given to us there. They're throughout the Old and New Testament. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health are linked. In scripture, we never see the separation between physical health and mental health, or physical health and emotional health, or physical health and spiritual health. health. Um, There are some churches that have that idea. They say that we are spiritual beings and what we do physically does not impact us spiritually. And that really is Greek dualism. The whole concept that the soul and the body are two separate things, that whatever you do to the body is not gonna touch or affect the soul. That's a total different concept in Greek dualism than the Hebraic thought. Hebraic thought was that human beings were an integrated unit, that we are physical, mental, and spiritual beings. That what happens, what we do physically impacts us mentally. What happens, what we do mentally, and our thought processes impact us physically. And the spiritual is interconnected with all of them. So health is is part of God's plan for abundant living in the Bible's first book, Genesis. And so let's go back to Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis, we're going to look at Exodus, we'll look at the Old Testament we will see this basic foundation of health and, and how health and the message of health can be part of the DNA and the fabric of the life of a local congregation. When you back to creation, God did it right the first time. God did it right the first time. And Psalm 33 verse eight says, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. I love that expression, all the inhabitants of the earth. When we consider creation, because the next text says, for he spoke and it was done, he commanded it stood fast. God spoke and it was done, not in the process of being done for 100 billion years. God spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. So the scripture says, let all the earth stand in awe of him. When you consider creation, God created the world with the concept of preparing it as a home for those whom he would create. And when you go back to Genesis and you look at creation, God creates the firmament, air for us to breathe. God creates the the environment with marvelous, pure water for us to drink, and God creates an environment that's pleasant for the eyes. And when you look at all of creation and you consider it, creation speaks of health with fresh air, pure water, sunshine to give us adequate vitamin D. And when you look at creation and all of nature, it speaks about God's plan. Just analyze for a moment with me the basic laws of health and life. What are they? They're fresh air and sunshine and adequate rest and a proper diet and exercise and positive human relationships and and, and a relationship with God. All of those elements we find in the book of Genesis when God put Adam and Eve in the garden. The Bible talks about the fact that God put them in the garden to dress it and keep it. He gave them useful work, hence exercise in the garden. What about diet in the garden? You know it well, Genesis 1, verse 29. God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. So in the garden, God gave them a plant-based diet. Uh, Adam was not to chase some cow in the garden and jump on it and knife it and bring it home and say, hey, Eve, here's uh, lunch today, you know? No, it was a vegetarian diet that he had gave, they had gave them in the Garden of Eden. When you look at modern science today, more science is moving back toward the Eden diet and the Eden way of life. Uh, More of modern medicine is saying if you want to be well and reduce the risk of disease, follow the preventive medicine approach of exercise and fresh air and sunshine. There's a lot of discussion today about vitamin D and the lack of vitamin D and the need for vitamin D supplementation. But God did it right the first time, didn't he? He gave us adequate sunshine. Um, There's some interesting new studies that have to do with rest and the immune system that if you're pushing yourself too hard no matter what else you do that it breaks down the immune system god did it right the first time he gave us adequate rest there are some great studies in exercise and you know some of us who are getting a little older and uh, you know having these knees replaced like i have to do in a week or two they tell me that the physical therapist is going to exercise this knee the day after the operation Why? Because this old body needs some exercise. Um, So God did it right in the Garden of Eden. When the sun set on Friday in Eden, and God met with Adam and Eve on that first Sabbath, he gave to them one of the greatest principles of health, and that is the sense of identity. Sabbath is a day that we come back and look to the Creator God that made us We recognize that the creator God that made us cares for us, that he's interested in us. So Sabbath was a day of relationships. It was a day for man to relate to God, Adam and Eve to relate to one another. One of the things that we know today about health is this. If you have fractured relationships in your marriage, if you have fractured relationships between you and your boss at work, if you have fractured relationships in any area of your life, it breaks down your immune system. It contributes to, to hypertension, contributes to stomach ulcers. When you go back to the Garden of Eden and you look at the seven basic, eight basic rather, elements of life and health, everything from fresh air to a proper diet to sunshine to rest to proper relationships with God and one another, we find them in their roots in the book of Genesis. So the Adventist health message finds its roots in creation. Can you think of another reason why the devil has promoted the false ideology of evolution? Not merely as a scientific theory, but the further we get from Genesis, the further we get from the way that God did it right the first time, the further we will get from God's original plan of health, and uh, his original plan of life. Health is part of God's plan for abundant living in Genesis and also in Exodus. Moses exhibits an understanding of disease not understood until 3,500 years in the future. I'm going to show you some amazing things this afternoon from the Old Testament, some things that I've been studying about the health laws of the Old Testament that, that I have recently come across that, was, that I was not aware of in years of study. Um, Now look, Moses was educated at the University of Egypt. Egypt was the medical center of the ancient world. Here's the fascinating fact. Moses did not include the medical errors of Egypt in the Old Testament, although he had a PhD from the University of Egypt. See, Moses penned advanced, flawless medical practices with a conspicuous absence of the harmful practices that plagued the writings of the Egyptians. Now let me uh, put a little caveat here. The Bible is not predominantly a medical textbook. It's a book that reveals the plan of salvation. But where the Bible speaks in the area of science and medicine, it's accurate, as I'll show you this afternoon. Now, I want to look a little bit at Egyptian culture. George Ebers was a German uh, Egyptologist. And in 1872, he discovered the Ebers, what we now call the Ebers papyrus, uh, taking his name. It had 811 prescriptions. Now this is the kind of medical training that Moses received. This is the kind of medical training that he received in his background. Splinters. In the Ebers papyrus, it says you use warm blood, mole, and donkey dung to put on the splinter to pull it out. What do we know about that today? How many of you are using that in your practice today? <laughs> OK, we know that donkey dung is full of bacterium, and it totally infects. Think of the thousands of people that died. Skin diseases, you use a hog's tooth, cat's dung, dog dung, exet oil extract, berries, and you pound and make it into a pollster, and you put it on a skin. Where's John? Is John here today? Dermatologist. There's one for you, John. <laughs> Uh, various treatments of disease in- included farmer's urine, hog done, dry excrement of a child. Now this is the one I was really interested in. If you have sore eyes, any ophthalmologist here today? Who is my ophthalmologist? If you have sore eyes you take the urine of a faithful wife. If she's not faithful, don't take it. You take the urine of a faithful wife and apply it to sore eyes. Now, this is pa- this, Now this is serious stuff now. This was part of Moses' training. This was part of Moses' training that he learned in the University of Egypt. And you don't find a lick of it in the book of Exodus. Amen. See, this is amazing stuff. He says, amen. I'm glad you don't find it there, right? OK, now, let's look, at, let's look a little deeper. There's some fascinating stuff coming out of Egypt. The arid desert sand preserved the mummified bodies of the royals for thousands of years. See, we had shallow burial graves afforded natural mummification in ancient Egypt. And, um, We've discovered now thousands and thousands and thousands of mummies and a lot of those mummies were able either to x-ray or were able to do autopsies on and uh, because mummification was really fascinating the way they did it the internal organs except the heart were removed and placed in what we call canoptic jars and uh, studies done on Egyptian mummies confirmed the truthfulness of God's word. Two physicians worthy of noting, Dr. Rosalie David, Manchester University, Manchester, England, did a lot of autopsies on mummies. And um, Dr. Claude Ruffet is a French physician. He's x rayed 14,000 mummies. That's a pretty good database, 14,000. This is what they discovered. I'll give you some examples. Ramses II, we've discovered his mummy, and they've done x rays on it. He died of a massive heart attack, Ramses II. Ancient Egyptians uh, suffered hardening of the arteries, CT scans show. This is an interesting study that came out. They looked at uh, 16 mummies uh, who had identifiable arteries of the heart. Nine of them had calcification clearly seen in the arteries path, nine out of the 16 uh, of the mummies that they did the CT scans on. Uh, hardening of the arteries. When you look at the Egyptian diet, it was dramatically different in the later dynasties than the Hebrew diet. The Hebrew diet avoided pork. It tended to be more natural diet. The Egyptian diet had a lot of pig in it. It had, was a very high-fat diet, a lot of delicacies in their disease. Um, this would have been the Egyptian mother of Moses. As far as we can tell, Hatshepsut was the Egyptian mother of Moses. This would have been Pharaoh's daughter that raised Moses found her mummy, discovered it, and uh, took CT CAT scans and DNA testing on Hatshepsut's mummy. They revealed she was obese, she had diabetes, liver cancer, died in her 50s. Not much evidence of this at all in the ancient I- Israeli records. Now, we did, there's an autopsy done of a young Egyptian man named Neket revealed the presence of trichinosis parasite. Again, evidence that uh, the Egyptians were eating pork. Egyptologists now believe this was the result of of eating pork. So when you contrast Exodus and what's going on in Egyptian culture, and you contrast that with what is taking place actually in Israeli culture, Hebraic culture, they're vastly, vastly different. The diseases of Egypt, heart disease, cancer, arthritis, obesity, high blood pressure rheumatism, parasites, and uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Sound anything like modern 21st century society? Quite a bit like that. Now let's look at some of the prescriptions in the Pentateuch. Let's contrast these prescriptions with the Egyptian ebers and see what they are. First, we know today that blood is the liquid of life. The life of the flesh is in the blood, all there in Leviticus 17.11. Blood transports, of course, oxygen and uh, protein. But yet, for centuries, bloodletting was a common practice. A person had a fever. You slit the veins and let let blood out. Um, There was a lot of leech applications down through the centuries. In fact, as late as the 19th century, leeches were still used to let blood out. George Washington died at the hands of the bloodletting physicians. I was reading an article about George Washington's death and the Washington newspapers, the day after Washington died, um, came out with these headlines. President of the United States dies, Subheadline: He received the best medical treatment. The day before, he had a high fever. The blood letters came in the morning at about 9 o'clock, slit, and took out a pint or so of blood. Then they came in the afternoon and slit again, took out another pint. When they brought them in the third time, George Washington said, please, let me die in peace. (laughs) I mean, I would have wanted to die in peace, too. But you see, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood, totally contrary to that. Um, Germs and sanitation. You remember the story you learned in basic medical school. You know it well. Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis in Vienna, Austria. Um, in, In his clinic, his death rate for pregnant women was 18%. One in six pregnant women were dying in that clinic. The midwives, who didn't even take them to the hospitals, only had a 3% death rate. Why? Well, Semmelweis' medical students would examine cadavers of these dead women, and they would then wash their hands in bloody water. And then they would go directly and make physical exams on pregnant women. And they were losing one in six pregnant women. So what did Semmelweis do? He said, look, you start washing your hands. He dropped the death rate to 1%. Now, I want to show you something that's absolutely incredible. Moses' declaration, he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean for seven days. He shall purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day when he shall be clean. But if he shall not purify himself on the third and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. In other words, if you touch a dead body, you go purify yourself. Now, I went and looked at the Bible. What does the Bible say about the purification water? Here's what you do for the purification water. First, you have to burn a red heifer. And you take the ashes, and you pour the water through it. Then you take hyssop, and you put it in there. Then you take cedar oil. And I said to myself, let's go look at those three things and see what's going on. And this is amazing. You burn the red heifer. You take the water through the ashes. You you remember in your great-great-grandmother, she made that lye soap? That's exactly what happens when you pour the water through the ashes of the red heifer. It, pro- it produces chemically an antibacterial lye soap. What is hyssop? You can look at it. G- Google hyssop. It's really interesting. When you Google that, non-biblical sources are saying that hyssop is anti- accept, antiseptic. It is antiviral oil. Cedar oil is antiviral, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory properties. Moses knew exactly what was going on here. He said, make a water of these three things and use that as your purification water. It's one of the best antivirals, anti antifungals, and anti-inflammatories. When you go back to the Old Testament, you find that it is so vastly in contrast to what was going on in ancient Egypt. Look, uh, here's leprosy. He shall be unclean all the days he has, has the sore. This is quarantine. They had no concept of germs quarantine but it's rooted in the Old Testament theology. He shall be unclean, he's unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His habitation shall be outside the camp. You remember when the Great Black Plague took place, now I know you're not old enough, some of you may look a little bit like that, but no, Uh, we're all following the Adventist health message, we all look young, Uh, but you remember when this uh, reading about the Black Plague? What did the churchmen do? Thousands of people were dying. And the churchmen, based on the quarantine principles of the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus, separated people. When you go back to the Bible, here's the Encyclopedia of Medical History. I was interested in this one, Uh, pages 77 and 78, 1985. The idea of contagion was foreign to the classic medical tradition and found no place in the voluminous Hippocratic writings. The Old Testament, however, is rich for contagious sentiment, especially in regard to leprosy and venereal disease. So when you look at classic medical tradition in the Hippocratic writings, you do not find much about contagion. It's a foreign thought. But yet it's rooted in scripture. Can we have any question that health is deeply rooted, both in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament? Can we have any question? That when the Bible talks about the principles of health, it is 3,500 years ahead of its time. And that not only does archaeology prove the Bible to be true, and not only does prophecy prove the Bible to be true, but science proves the Bible to be true. This book that we hold in our hands is truly an inspired book. Let's move from here, though, and look at those issues of clean and unclean. Was this just some legalistic requirement? New scientific evidence indicates there was far more than that. You remember Deuteronomy 14, 6 through 8 and Leviticus 11 says you can eat every animal with cloven hoofs, having the hoofs split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Choose cud, split hoof, clean animals. Um, pig, of course, unclean. I was looking at some new studies that, well, I say new studies. There are studies that are 20, uh, 20th century studies Uh, that coming out of John Hopkins University, David Mock published in the Bulletin of History of Medicine in John Hopkins on an article called Levitical Laws of Food Consumption. And this is what he did. He took seedlings and he planted them in the juices of meats, fishes, and fowl. And he took the average of toxicity level. And so the level of non-toxicity in clean Average 91%. So, in other words, the clean animals, 91% non toxic. Unclean animals, the toxicity of the seedlings planted was oh, both of meat, fish, and. Fowl. If you take all the averages, there are some variations. I just took the averages, 48%. In other words, you have non toxicity at 91%. And you have non-toxicity at 48% or you have toxicity at 9%, and here you have toxicity at 52% of the unclean animals. Quite a remarkable study leading Mac to think that he said, you know, the studies in the clean and unclean genesis has a real scientific basis. You remember the story, some of you know it, of um, Dr. Bruce Holsted, a marine biologist that was employed after World War II by the American government. And uh, Halstead was given a boat, and the government said to him, If American flyers are shot down again, we want to know for sure what animals are toxic, what sea creatures are toxic, and what ones are not. And he developed a manual for American flyers of what they could eat that was sea creatures and what they couldn't. And he said, Look, if the, uh," and he had pictures of those sea creatures, and he said, Here's one simple rule. Shellfish, if it doesn't have fins and scales, are highly toxic. Things that have fins and scales are not highly toxic. So if the, bo- if the book gets wet and you need to um, just remember one rule, tell the flyers, don't eat it if it doesn't have fins and scales. If it has fins and scales, it's OK to eat. They paid him, I think it was $100,000 for the study. I could have quoted the text and <laughs> used a donation for our ministry. But anyway, that's another story. Warnings against fat. This shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You'll n- eat neither fat nor blood. What do you know about pork? It's the highest. Pork is extremely high in fat content. In fact, higher than m- all other meats um, when you look at the pork products. And so doesn't that look delicious for breakfast this morning? Aren't you glad you're a vegetarian? Um, the adverse influence of the consumption of pork and the consumption of health. Here is Professor Hans Heinrich Rieckwig in his biology therapy of volume 1, number 2, 1983. New statements, you know, uh, consumption of fleshly killed pork products causes acute responses, such as inflammations of the appendix and gallbladder, bilinary colons, and acute intestinal catarrh, gastroenteritis with typhoid and paratyphoid symptoms, as well as acute eczema, carbuncles, you know, and you go on and on and on. These symptoms can be observed after consuming sausage meats, including salami, which contains pieces of bacon in the form of fat. Um, Shortly after World War II, meat products, and especially pork, were difficult to purchase in Europe, and the diet of most Europeans consisted of fruits, vegetables, and whole grain grain breads. During this time, there was a marked decrease in cancer and heart disease. The Bible is accurate. The Bible is accurate. See, this presents a real foundation for health ministry because once Seventh-day Adventists and our people begin to understand this, that health is not something tacked on. Health is not something that we do, and occasionally do a health program, but health is part of God's overall plan to keep his people well. Wouldn't it be exciting if the, you know, the Adventist health studies show that Adventists are living some eight to 12 years longer, but wouldn't it be amazing if the length of life was even more dramatic, than it is, I believe that very soon doors are going to open for Adventists to share physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional principles of health like we haven't seen before. God is opening some amazing doors because these principles are solidly rooted both in scripture and in science. God's wellness plan. Why did God give us these principles? Were they some uh, legalistic requirements? from a God that is quite authoritative, not at all. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you. Don't you love that? God wants it to go well with you. God wants your life to go well. He wants you to live an abundant life filled with joy and happiness, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. God wants us in this world to have it go well with us. He wants to prolong our days, which the Lord God is giving us. Health is part of God's plan, not only in the Old Testament, but health is part of God's plan in the New Testament as well. The ministry of Jesus gives us a powerful example of his interest in the whole person. Matthew 4, verse 23. Now, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of diseases and all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, notice Jesus preached, he, Jesus taught, he preached, and he healed. It was a complete ministry. Now, I'd like to look at the story of the woman with the issue of blood because it really, in, it really gives us how Jesus is interested in the whole person. First, we're going to look at a little background of the story. The woman had gone to physician after physician for 12 years. She was hemorrhaging and bleeding. What did that mean? First, it meant that since she was unclean, like a leper, she had to cry out, unclean, 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 every place she went. Secondly, it meant that her husband could not touch her. So he could not hug her. Here's a woman that had no hugs, no embraces for 12 years. Here's a woman whose children could not climb up on her lap. She was totally unclean. So there's a terrible stench that's coming out of her body. Her clothes are filthy and dirty. She's gone for 12 years to different physicians. In addition to that, she has no more money to spend. What is she interested in? This story shows you three things. First, if you look at Mark chapter 5, verse 22 to 24, and I'll summarize them in the light of time. The woman first goes, and the Bible says what she wants is a cure for her disease, because when you look at verse 28, she says, I spent all my money on physicians, and I was not cured or made well. Now, there are three expressions in the Greek text in Mark 5 for made well or cure. But every one of them is a different Greek word. And I want to explain the significance to you. So in English, we read made well or cured. We read it in verse 28. She goes to all these physicians, spends all her money, and she's not made well. In the Greek, the word is "therapuo." What English word do we get from that? Therapy. Therapy. So the woman goes to all these physicians, and she's not cured. She has no therapy. So all she is interested in the therapy. Have you seen people like that in your, in your, come into your office? Doc, I don't care what it is. Give me a pill. I don't care what it is. All I want is therapy. Whatever it costs, Doc, that's what I want, therapy. I, I, I just want the cure. So the first scene focuses on the cure for the disease. Now. This has to do with the treatment of disease. Doc, just treat this disease. Give me any pill. Give me any treatment, any chemical treatment. I don't care about it. I just want my disease treated. So the woman experienced what she believed healing from the disease when she touched the hem of Jesus garment. And she said, I am healed. Verse 29. That's a different Greek word than cure or therapy. It means, that's the word, and if you look up the Greek, it means now I'm free from disease. So first you have the patient focusing on the cure. Then you have the patient focusing on being free from disease. Okay, Jesus focuses on something else. This has to do with physical healing of the disease. True medical missionaries are interested in a lot more than the cure of disease and a lot more than what is the cure. And they're a lot interested in a lot more than merely removing the disease. We're interested more than cure a disease. We're interested in people. See, many physicians might be interested in curing disease, and they might be interested in the treatment of disease. We're interested in that, but we're interested much more, aren't we? We're not only interested in the cure for the disease or the disease that the patient has, we're interested in the patient that has the disease. So more than the disease that has the patient, the patient that has the disease is what we're real interested in. So this has to do with the physical healing of sickness in the second phase, ayameo. But when Jesus talks to her, he gives the woman much more than she originally sought after. Because when Jesus uses the word made well, he uses neither therapeuo or ayameo. He uses the word zozo, which is the root word for salvation, indicating a physical, mental, and spiritual healing. So Jesus uses a word that indicates wholeness. Every Seventh-day Adventist church ought to be a place of healing and health and wholeness. Every Adventist church ought to be a place where the community is knocking on the doors saying, this is a place Where I can get help for my physical problems this is a place where my emotional stress and anxiety can be relieved this is a place that will give me spiritual direction where i can know god jesus our creator redeemer sustainer he is the one who restores wholeness hope and peace he is the one that passed through the crowd and ministered to men and women physically and mentally and spiritually he is the one that said read it with me please john chapter 10 and verse 10 would you like to read it together i have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly you know the greek word for abundantly there is superabundance. so jesus came to give us life in superabundance. he came so that we could enjoy life physically mentally spiritually following the savior's example the new testament church met the needs of people in jesus name These early disciples demonstrated a concern for the entire person, physically, mentally, socially, spiritually. You remember what happened in the book of Acts? When the. We often read Acts and we read about the prayer of the disciples, sharing the word of the disciples, the miracles. But you remember what happened when the widows didn't have enough to eat? The disciples were concerned about that, they were concerned about meeting needs everywhere. I love the way Ellen White puts it. Ministry of Healing, page 143. Let's read it together. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Let me paraphrase this statement. Christ's method alone, for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the 21st century will give true success in reaching secular postmodern people. As church members mingle with men and women desiring only their good. As church members show their sympathy for them and their hearts go out in compassion for the broken and the bruised and the battered. As they minister to the needs of that woman who's gone through the trauma of a divorce and that father who's lost his wife through a heart attack, and those children who've come from broken homes and broken families, and as they minister to men and women looking for purpose and meaning and direction in life, they will win their confidence, and then they will have the credibility to say, follow me, and tens of thousands will follow Jesus, and they will come and flock to Adventist churches that have that caring, loving, outreaching ministry, growing churches, have a variety of programs that meet the needs of varied people groups. Just as Jesus met the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs, his people filled with his love do the same. Medical ministry page 20 says we are to do the same work that the great medical missionary undertook in our behalf. Health is part of God's last day message as well in the book of Revelation. Now you remember when you look at Revelation 11, verse 19, it says, the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Now in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it says the ark of the covenant is seen in the temple up in heaven. Do you remember where that ark of the covenant was placed in the sanctuary in the Old Testament? Where was it placed there? In the most holy place. What were the three things that were in the ark of the covenant? The law of God. What else? Aaron's rod that budded, what else? The manna. The law of God was there because God's law is the, is the transcript of his character and the foundation of his throne. Aaron's rod was, uh, that budded was there as a warning to all offshoots. You can never believe the sanctuary message and be an offshoot because Aaron's rod that budded is a symbol of divine authority. There are a lot of people that say, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. When you look up into the sanctuary in the most holy place and the Ark of the Covenant is open, Aaron's rod that budded speaks of the divine authority of God's church in the last days of Earth's history. What about the manna? The manna was the health reform diet, and it was in contrast to the diet of flesh that Egypt wanted. So the manna in the golden pot in the sanctuary calls all human beings everywhere to live in harmony with the principles of health that God has for his last day people. So the sanctuary message is a call to health. The law of God, Aaron's rod that budded, and the manna that's there. Um, The manna calls us back to God's way of life, a simple, natural diet that heaven has for us. Then you remember in Revelation 14, the Bible has the message of the three angels that go forth to the ends of the earth. Revelation fourteen verse seven says, "Fear God, and give glory to Him. Fear—that is, respect God. Give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him who made heaven, earth, the sea, and the springs of waters." Here's a message that's go to the ends of the earth. Now, who is the one that made the heaven, earth, sea, and the springs of waters? Here's—he's the, the Creator. So here's a message in an age of evolution where human beings are considered to be no, no more than skin covering bone, they're no more than a biological genetic accident, where God is calling us back to worship the Creator. Now, if we're going to worship the Creator, will we work with Him in harmony to preserve and build up what He's made, or will we live contrary to His laws and tear down what He's made? In the heart of the essence of God's last-day message for the world, there's a call to worship the Creator. And of all of that which He has made, the most sublime of all his creation and most magnificent is the human body. So the call in Revelation 14 to all humanity everywhere is a call to preserve these bodies blameless until the coming of Jesus, physically, mentally, and spiritually. There's something else in this message. It says, fear God and do what? Give glory to him. Well, what does it mean to give glory to God? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. So deeply embedded in the fabric of God's last day message for humanity is a call to worship our creator, to get back to creation, living in harmony with his laws, and to give him glory in every aspect of our life. This is why Ellen White says, in volume one of the testimonies, page 486, the health reform, that is the transformation of life that takes place when we live in harmony with the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional principles that God has given. The health reform I was shown is a part of the third angel's message. So this is not something tacked on. This is not something a church says, hey, I'm going to do a little stress program over here, a little five-day plan. It's part of the DNA. It's part of the very life fabric of God's last day people. It's just as closely connected with the three angels' message as the arm and hand with the human body. The Bible teaches that we're whole persons. From, from Genesis at creation, through Exodus in the Old Testament, down through the ministry of Jesus, down to the book of Revelation, the Bible teaches that we're whole persons. And God wants to save us completely, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. When the church becomes a center of health and healing, understanding that God has placed that church in the community to make a significant difference in the quality of lives of people. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. Members who go out everywhere ministering in Jesus' name, His love, His grace, the principles of His goodness. And when that happens in your community, your church indeed will be the light upon the hill that God intends. In our next session, after our three and a half minute break that I lead you in exercise in, I know these Adventists, you let them go and they're gone forever. (laughs) In our next session, we're gonna come back and say, how do you take these principles and apply them to the local congregation? Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you so much that the principles of the Bible are scientifically sound. Thank you so much that from Genesis to Revelation, There is a message of physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional wholeness for your people. Now as we learn how to discover and apply them, may we apply them to our local congregations. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org.